So this interview is by a guy who is comfortable diving into new things, and I thought that was pretty cool to add, um, that he's more behind the scenes than other people. I thought it was interesting. A lot of the performers that you see are performing, and that's usually what they do. This guy made a lot of his expertise consulting with other performers, um, people like Penn & Teller and Yuri Geller and Chris Angel, etc. Um, good at what he does. He appeared on the Joe Rogan podcast a few months ago. I decided to get him on mine. Um, it's actually the, you'll, you'll hear a little bit about that quip since they're first name is both Joe, um, but a lot of the stuff that we talk about is new. I made a, I made a, a particular decision to make sure we didn't repeat most of the content that you heard um, if you heard about this guy before. Without further ado, here is the podcast. If you like it, take a subscribe um, and uh, share with your friends and uh, enjoy. Yes, I can hear you guys. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Good day. Good to connect with you, uh, Banachek. Uh, do you want me to call you Banachek or Steven? Uh, everybody calls me Banachek. Nobody knows the Steven name. Are you guys wandering? I don't know. I don't know what we're doing. I started recording. Oh, wait. Yeah. Are, we, are we going right now or are we yep. just talking? Yeah, okay. it automatically records. Um, oh, okay. He but said I, automatically I can definitely... records. I can definitely cut it recording, out. Recording All right. We're going to start recording. We should start again because Tyus wasn't recording and he has just hit the button. We are now officially recording. Okay, All right. We are now no, officially recording. Let's do a clap to sync. Perfect. Perfecto. I got the clap on my end. Um, this is officially the <laughs> second podcast that you've been a part of that where you're interviewed by a guy named Joe. Oh, I know exactly, right? Joe Rogan you're talking about. Yes, yes. It's actually where I first uh, I met with quotes, met you with quotes, air quotes. I think I've had a few other Joes. I think there was one that was a, an evangelist. Oh, no, wait, that mm. was Jack. And what Jack did was um, he basically, uh, people when people were possessed, he gave exorcisms, but he did it under the guise while he was playing Elvis Presley music, a very strange, oh. strange, strange individual. That's yeah. unique. Well, isn't that more like going in enemy territory for you? Uh, it was, but I was talking about skepticism. So I don't mind going to enemy territory. I don't consider it the enemy because many of them are self-deceived as well. Sure. Some of them are doing it for publicity, which I suspect was the case there. So that would be sort of enemy territory. But if I can put a little critical thinking and reasoning mm -hmm. into the conversation, I've done my job. Like a little bit of a Trojan horse. Exactly right. In a way, except I am not hiding it. Of course, of course. Yeah, you're like, hey, everybody, I'm going to be helping you question the guy that's interviewing me. Exactly. <laughs> um, so just, I'm just going to uh, just going to um, introduce you to my listeners and, and explain exactly why um, Banachek is on here. Um, and you guys all know that I, I like to help you guys take leaps. I like to help you guys. Uh, jump into uh, a life which is exciting and fulfilling and passionate for you. And one thing I admire in people and, and one thing I pick out in the people that I interview is people that can exemplify uh, in their own life doing this. And there's nothing more um, exciting about jumping into a life. Um, and it's also meaningful for you. You have your own purpose. You've jumped into a life of uh, first of all, performance magic, but then also debunking other people um, who 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 are uh, who are deceiving the public 
such as Peter Popoff. Yeah, I, I saw, let's go back to the very beginning because sure. Popoff came much later. I started out performing, now I perform mentalism, which is a subset of magic, but at the time when I started, I did not realize it was even a subset of magic. All I knew when I was a kid, because I picked up a book written by James the Amazing Randy, is mm -hmm. that there were people out there that were using trickery to convince people that they were indeed psychic. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't believe that this was a psychic. I, I knew immediately that he was using trickery. Mm -hmm. I started to advise my own methods for doing those same kind of things, like bending nails, bending spoon so much so uh -huh. that the kids at school were stealing all the silverware from the cafeteria and bringing it to me to bend and I got suspended because they were stealing the silverware and they went to plasticware but from that uh -huh. my intention <laughs> from the very beginning was to try to get into a laboratory because keep in mind that was back in the 1980s and psychic phenomena mm -hmm. was all the rage um, mm -hmm. you had in, the In Search of TV show which everybody listened to and had the highest ratings it's still one of the highest ratings ever and it was always sure. it was dealing with psychic phenomena you had psychics doing things behind the Iron Curtain and there was that propaganda coming out of Russia and we had our uh -huh. propaganda we were sending on, sci on uh, psychic phenomena and uh, I wanted to get into a laboratory and convince the scientists that I was a genuine psychic and come out and explain sure. that it was all trickery and the reason being is because it was my hypothesis at the time that uh, it had nothing to do with a lack of funding, as the scientists were saying, that that uh -huh. was not the reason they didn't have, to have anything psychic on a proper scientific controls, but it uh -huh. was because they were going in with their own biased opinion. In other words, their biases were getting in the way of using proper science. And the mm -hmm. fact they thought they were too smart to be fooled because they had PhDs, they wouldn't search out the expert opinion and the help of people that could detect that trickery. And I was right on uh -huh. both accounts. It was called Project Alpha. You can look it up mm -hmm. online. And uh, for four years, I convinced them it was genuine psychic. Then after those four years, I came out and explained it was all an illusion. But when I started, I didn't mm -hmm. know anything about performing. And it was mm -hmm. from that, after that, that I started performing. And I started looking for other mm -hmm. fakes and frauds like Peter Popoff. Interesting. So at first, you you weren't so much a performance magician, but the, the thrill of, of doing it in these environments where you had to think on your feet or you would be caught. And then your whole purpose would be kind of thrown in the air. That was what got you into going on stage and doing this well there was definitely a thrill from it yes uh that was unexpected that was sort of uh -huh. secondary game as a result sure. but it was more of a moralistic thing that i was going in mm -hmm. i saw myself as a knight in shining armor going in to save the day when in reality that's mm -hmm. not quite what i was doing i mean i was mm -hmm. on one level but the great thing about this was and the sad thing about this was that these scientists these physicists mm -hmm. that were studying this type of phenomena they basically believed in this phenomena mm -hmm. and, and they weren't stupid people. They weren't ignorant people. They were just ignorant mm -hmm. in this particular area and they were using their own bias and their own bias was definitely getting in the way, but they were good people. They were mm -hmm. not bad people. Getting to know them over time, that became the hardest part because here I was pulling a con yeah, on yeah. people who were very, very good people. Oh, for sure. I, I rem it makes a lot of sense that you would connect with James uh, Randi about that. He gave a talk at my college, I believe, five or six, maybe seven years ago, right near the end of, of his career, I believe now he's uh, living quietly. He's in his early 90s, isn't he? He is in his early 90s, and yes, he is living quietly, although he's still passionate about this type of phenomena and exploding oh, sure. the science for what it is. He does it a little bit less, a little bit more passively now than he used to. 
Mm-hmm. I remember reaching out to him, and uh, his assistant let me know that he's not doing any public appearances, uh, which makes sense. If I was 90, sure. in my early 90s, I'd probably want to um, enjoy my life in uh, in quiet in quietude, um, even if I was a passionate person. But I remember he was. He's. It's interesting because you're both of your um, missions seem to align very 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 succinctly how did you two link up um well we linked up it was back in those early days when i wanted a full scientist i wrote to him and said look if you have any because i was just a kid and he was mm-hmm. older he'd already started psychop you know and uh, the committee for the skeptical mm-hmm. in- inquiry of the paranormal um he got the whole skeptic movement moving back in those mm-hmm. days it was him it was ray hyman and martin and gardner mm-hmm. which are great names to look up if you haven't sure. if you're interested in this type of thing um but they really started the whole real skeptic movement as we know it today mm-hmm. so i wrote randy a letter and said if you need a kid to full scientists i'd be happy to do so <laughs> and nice. that's when the opportunity came about in 1979 when James S. McDonald, board chairman of McDonald Aircraft, gave a half a million dollars to Washington University to study psychic phenomena. They put out the Associated mm-hmm. Press article. I wrote them a letter and myself and another young kid uh-huh. who was also a magician unbeknownst to them. We were accepted and we were studied. And they even gave us a name, Psychic Kinetics. It was a brand new name that was put out there specifically for us. Huh. Interesting. It kind of sounds similar to Stargate. What, is there any link between um, the Stargate project and, and Project Alpha, the one that uh, they studied you? Yeah, no link really other than Ray Hyman, who's the name that I mentioned. Ray was a mm-hmm. skeptic who took a look at Stargate and found out that there was absolutely nothing there. Now, for those people that yeah. don't know, Stargate was a $22 million funded project that was put out by the United States government to find out whether psychic phenomena had any any uh, military applications. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the biggest things that came out of there was a thing called remote viewing. Basically, a person mm-hmm. sits in a room, another person goes out to a remote location, and the person sitting in the room tries to describe what that other person is looking at. But there's mm-hmm. definitely a lot of faulty data in the results that they came up with, and mm-hmm. there is nothing specific. There's nothing solid that came out of there in any any way whatsoever to say that any mm-hmm. that paranormal activity is real yeah it's like psychic drone use it's it's like as if you're you're using your spirit to go and 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 transport to some other place and be like okay well there's an enemy at that part of the door and at that part of the door right uh, remember there's a, that's, a a movie about yeah that. Uh, uh, a minute stare at goats mm-hmm. i think it was yeah that was like that yeah i don't know if that's yeah. the exact name but yes that's that was it was all based upon that and again mm-hmm. that turned out to all be pseudoscience it was uh, mm-hmm. 20 years and over 22 million dollars of funding in fact the 22 million dollars i found out from ray just recently on my mm-hmm. i had him on my podcast uh, banachek's brain and uh, mm-hmm. he talks all about that. And he told me that that $22 million is sort of a misnomer. That was spent in the first five years. So it was a lot wow. more money than that that was spent on that research. Wow, wow. So, so they, 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 did they just delude themselves into thinking that it was real? Like, why would it go on for so long and spend so much on it? Were they just trying to find something and being like, well, it's just past this next boulder? If you're like using the analogy of digging for gold, like what? Why did they spend so much money on? It? Well, quite often the people that are put in charge of those type of programs are people who already have a bias towards psychic phenomena, right? They already uh-huh. believe in it. So really, quite often they're, they're they're retrofitting the results to fit exactly what it is that they already believe in, and mm-hmm. not just that, but there was a lot of propaganda that was coming out from behind the Iron Curtain back then. So mm-hmm. we had to try keep up with them. We had to keep up with them with the space age. We had to keep up yeah. with them uh, in the paranormal. 
normal in the military area. So we had to take those. We think about that stuff as being silly quite often now. Many people mm-hmm. do and go, mm-hmm. how could we think about those things? But we had mm-hmm. to take that stuff seriously back then. We had sure. to look at it close. I mean, we live in a different day and age right now. Mm-hmm. You know, we have information at our fingertips. We didn't have that back then. Yeah, and, and if you're like, if you want to actually question whether this is true or not, then you just apply the scientific method, and that means looking at it as if it's serious, and then using the data to decide whether it is or isn't. You would think that's exactly what would happen, right? But that's mm-hmm. not what happens, and it's proved time and time again. Even when Yuri Geller was a Stanford Research Institute, mm-hmm. right? My good friend Ray Hyman, once again, he had heard something that came out of there that uh, Geller they had taken a ring. And they had placed mm-hmm. it in front of Gela, and the ring right in front of them had twisted up, and it had turned, and then it split into two pieces. Mm-hmm. Well, when they asked Ray to come take a look at Yuri Gela and look at the results of Stanford Research Institute, he was not allowed to apply the scientific method at all. He just had to be a passive observer, and he kept watching these things. Didn't see anything specific. Didn't see anything that convinced him that any of this was real.、Uh-huh. And he kept asking that question about the ring. Uh-huh. After a lot of talking, a lot of speaking to many different people, it turns out that the ring wasn't a ring. It turned out to be a washer, and、uh-huh. it was a story that Gela had told them when they came back into the room as to what happened. <laughs> and because they wanted to convince other people that Gela was a、yeah. genuine psychic, they talked about the most extreme things that he had done,、wow. and that、yeah. was one of them. But nobody had actually confirmation. Had, yeah, no, it's、yeah. confirmation bias. Exactly, nobody had actually seen it happen. Huh. He 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 probably took two rings, like took a split ring, or like did something with a saw, and then just told them what. Who knows what he did? I mean, we we can theorize about those things,、yeah. but more than likely, he、uh, it might not even been their ring. It might have been a washer that he brought with him. Who knows? Or yeah, maybe yeah, he had a pair、knows. of pliers in his pocket and he just you know bent it up. Who knows what happened? Yeah,、uh, maybe he was trying to break it into two pieces and put a fatigue bar in it so that he can make it look like he was breaking it later on. We don't know. We can theorize over、yeah. and over again, but without actually being there, without anybody actually. Seeing it,、mm-hmm. not even those scientists, and yet they were telling that story as if it was fact. Yeah.、And、keep in mind, these are scientists that are repeating、mm-hmm. a story as if it's fact. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting. You seem there's a guy that I met.、Um, I went to Rutgers for my computer science undergrad.、Uh, I did not graduate. I decided to travel the world instead, even though I was doing well and had、I、was president of computer science club over there. But、um, there's this guy who was the head, I believe, of the. Cognitive Science Club and maybe the Cognitive Science Department.、Uh, a well-respected、um, professor over there. I don't know if you know him. He 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 used the scientific method to、um, to test whether the soul is real, and he has not come up with any conclusive evidence. And I think you two would get along and have a lot to talk about. Would love to speak with him. I mean, at the JREF, you know, the James Randi Educational Society. We're a society、mm-hmm. where we like to think critical thinking, able by science and reasoning, is a practice habit by everybody.、And、we try to promote that. You know, on the JREF site, we provide information, educational tools, and enable new generations of critical thinkers to better evaluate claims that are out there, from the ordinary to the extraordinary. Because here's the thing, right? The ordinary、mm-hmm. is. Quite amazing in itself, and I quite often find the ordinary to be extraordinary. But even the ordinary, we should take a look at that from a critical thinking standpoint as well. Sure, sure. I, I think that would.、Uh, I'll get in touch with him. It's been a while since we talked, and I just went to a couple of his lectures, so he won't remember me. But I'll definitely warm the relationship up and, and point him to、uh, to、uh, to Tyus over there, and、uh, you might might be able to get him on your podcast. Yeah, for people that don't know, Tyus is my manager, and he's my right arm. He handles everything for me. 
Yeah, so far I've I've found he's a great guy, and, and uh, <laughs> it's funny because this whole podcast, uh, my computer broke this morning, so we had to do a little bit of uh, um, <laughs> MacGyvering the audio collection here. So I'm sorry if it's not as ideal quality as it could be, um, but but uh, it's been very very accommodating, and I appreciate you working with me on this. Oh, no problem at all, and uh, thanks to Tyus, you know we're able to get some of this working where we're recording at our end and sending it back to you. So I think it's yeah. going to be fine, and the quality may be better than you expect. I hope so. I'm I'm excited for that. One one of the things that's really kind of interested me and one of the reasons I was drawn to uh, to, to contact you for this interview was um, how how much your your especially project alpha you had to be on your toes all the time and everything was the unknown and uh, you didn't go in it for the rush but I'm sure there was that rush and just how 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 do you deal with that pressure? Well, let's keep in mind, when I was young, I had nothing to lose. The worst that was going to happen to me as a kid was I was going to be exposed as a fake and a fraud, and it wasn't a big thing. I didn't have the name that I have now. You mm-hmm. know, I wasn't known all around the world for mentalism, mind reading, my shows, and also for the skeptical uh, movement and the things that I've done there from exposing pop-off, which we should also talk about that in just a minute. So I had sure. nothing to use. So the great thing about this was when I was working with a scientist, whenever they would say can you do this i would just say yes and i would give it a try also keep in mind that i didn't have to succeed unlike Mm -hmm. a performance where i'm performing on a stage i have to succeed i'm getting paid Mm -hmm. to succeed i'm getting paid to entertain people if i get Mm -hmm. up there and everything goes wrong that's not very entertaining but when i'm working with a scientist if i bend one spoon in two three days of work that's Mm -hmm. all that they wanted that's yeah. all that they needed because it it went along with the experiments that they were performing. Having a psychic ability doesn't mean that psychic ability, and I put this in quotes, but it doesn't mean that that psychic ability is going to work all the time. It just means it mm-hmm. works some of the time, right? So mm-hmm. I had nothing to lose. So there really wasn't that pressure to succeed. I had all the time in the world to try to figure out how I was going to do something. Now, here's the mm-hmm. interesting thing, right? I'm a problem mm-hmm. solver. Just instinctively, I'm a problem mm-hmm. solver. So I can come up with methods for things almost instantaneously. When I worked with mm-hmm. Chris Angel on the TV show, he and I mm-hmm. would sit in a room. We would come up with over 350 tricks that we wanted to do for that season. And that's the hardest mm-hmm. part, coming up with the ideas of what you want to do, not how you mm-hmm. want to do it. And then mm-hmm. we would have like two weeks to figure out exactly how we were going to do each one of those tricks mm-hmm. and sometimes we had two or three methods for performing each trick so figuring that out that's what I'm really really good at so in those situations I didn't feel any pressure and mm-hmm. when I do feel pressure I work very good under pressure I just had a show recently mm-hmm. um, where I gave a keynote and mm-hmm. I was very distracted because I was being uh, interviewed by HBO, uh, Vice, mm-hmm. which is, uh, you can probably look it up. I don't know if it's out there on their website yet, but at some point it will be. That was just mm-hmm. last week. And uh, I, mm-hmm. had a mul- I had multiple things going on. And I was missing something on stage in the middle of my performance. Now, many performers, mm-hmm. this is the end of my, my performance. It's the, the big mm-hmm. buildup to the end of my performance. I have nowhere to mm-hmm. go. I've seen that happen to other performers and they Mm -hmm. freak out and they just say sorry and they quit the show at that point. In that Mm -hmm. moment right there, I have to think, what am I going to do? I brought Mm -hmm. a lady up. I made sure there was enough time for me to leave the stage. Something was happening on stage at that time. Mm -hmm. I ran back out. I went through my suitcase. I pulled out exactly what I needed. I came back on stage and said, ladies and gentlemen, sorry, I had a little bit of an audio problem there. I had to take care of Mm -hmm. and continue with the show. I just simply don't panic in those type of situations. Mm -hmm. I never have, and hopefully I never will. 
Mm-hmm. And and that's something that was interesting because uh, I got, I asked uh, my following, I was like, hey, so I'm having this guy on. Is there anything you want to know? And the overwhelming thing that I heard was people want to know what you do when you're nervous. Um, and so I, mean, I guess it's just a different way to ask the same question. Yeah. Uh, do you ever feel nervous? The only time I ever feel nervous is when I'm performing in front of a group of my peers. There are performers that perform only in front of their peers and they're fantastic at that. They don't do so well with uh, regular audiences. There are people that perform in front of their peers and also do well in front of regular audiences, but I don't perform in front of my peers that often. And mm-hmm. um, it's one of those things of, I think that I often, my stuff's out there, you know, it's out mm-hmm. there in the magic community. If you see mm-hmm. a mentalist or magician working today, they're more than likely using two or three of my ideas in their performances. Mm-hmm. Um, so my stuff's out there. So I get a little bit nervous about that. Am I going to live up to their expectations? Are they going to mm-hmm. sit there with their arms crossed? But the moment that I get out on that stage, the moment I'm up there and performing, all those fears are alleviated because I'm up there to do a mm-hmm. show. I'm up there to perform at that moment. But the few minutes before I get out on stage, that's when I get a little bit nervous when my peers mm-hmm. are inside, out in that audience. Or if I'm performing a completely new show and I have mm-hmm. to memorize a lot of uh, a dialogue in that show, mm-hmm. I'm always worried that what's going to happen. But I know that once I get out there, no mm-hmm. matter what, I'm going to get through the performance. So you found just to just to see if I understand right. So you found that it's kind of like going to the gym. All you have to do is get yourself over that threshold, and then you're comfortable. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Yeah. Once I get past that threshold, look, I know that my performances, I know that my effects are going to amaze the audience, right? I know that. Uh-huh. I know that's going to happen because I've done it for so long. That that's that's the what's the worst thing that's going to happen? I'm going to walk mm-hmm. off stage and go well. That wasn't my greatest performance, but the audience is still going to be amazed by it. Mm-hmm. They're not going to know the difference. Mm-hmm. It's interesting you say that because one year, this was, I believe, 2017. Yeah, it was 2017. I told myself my New Year's resolution was I'm going to jump out of a plane this year. And the opportunity came in spring break. And I went with my friend and my uncle. And we went up to the Poconos Mountains and there's a small Cessna and by small I mean like smaller than any, any yep. like about as big as a bat. I know what you mean <laughs> I have fr- I have friends that have their own little private plane so I know exactly what you mean the little two-seaters yep yeah and we had to spiral up for about 10 to 15 minutes to get to 10,000 feet where we were going to jump it wasn't like a jetliner where it's like a minute in it's like okay take off your seatbelt 10,000 feet it took 10 to 15 minutes to spiral up at like a steep angle and you could feel the wind going through the plane because it's not airtight (laughs) so the scariest part was going up in the plane it was buffeting it was small enough so the wind would would push it this way and that and everything was it was super nervous the anticipation but the moment that i stepped out of the plane i mean there's no choice at that yep. point but it ca- kind of reminds me of exactly what you're talking about like the the, the lead in is the scary part but once you're out there it's, it's you can't turn back and, and you just you just get the drive to keep going i remember so, i was about seven or eight years old and this was in uh-huh. england and uh there was a high dive board and the teacher made us go uh-huh. the swim teacher made us go up to the high dive board and the scariest yeah. thing was standing on that board, right? And it still kind of oh, yeah. is a scariest thing because you don't want to fall off the side of the board or anything like that. Uh-huh. But I walked to the very edge and I knew that I was going to have to jump, but I was really, uh-huh. truly scared. And all uh-huh. I did was I focused on one little area of the pool. And in that area, it looked like there was a little bit of plastic bag under the water. I don't know what it was. It probably wasn't a plastic bag, but who knows what it was. But I focused on that. 
And that's all that I thought about. I didn't think about anything、uh-huh. else. And I leapt off trying to, you know, hit that little area in the pool. And it, w-、uh-huh. once, I left, once I left the board, I was fine. It was just getting、uh-huh. up to that point. And I think that has always stuck with me as this、uh-huh. sort of thing. I was talking to Tyus the other day. I said, you know, I've flown all around the world. I, I've been to, you know, almost, I mean, I've been to every continent except for one. Antarctica,、uh-huh. and someday I'm going to go over there and do a trick for a penguin if they have penguins there. I'm not sure if they have、nice. an Antarctica or something, who knows, you know, but I'm going to get that off my bucket list. I, I、uh-huh. don't have many bucket lists, but that's one. And、uh, I've done so much. And then I, there, there were two weeks, about maybe five years ago,、uh-huh. that I was getting on planes and I had planes every day. And all of a sudden I started getting anxiety. And it had nothing to do with turbulence or anything like that. I just got to the point where there was something in my head saying, You have flown so many miles that it's、uh-huh. now your time to die. <laughs> and it just, it just the anxiety、wow. was there. And then, I was, then there was some turbulence on one of the flights. And I looked out the window and I was looking at the wing bouncing up and down. I was like, you know what? That's a good sign. The wing should be bouncing. They're not supposed to be stiff. I looked at it from a logical thing. And、uh-huh. then I said, What's the worst that's going to happen? What is the worst that's going to happen if this plane crashes? And it was like,、uh-huh. I'm going to die.、And、I was like,、uh-huh. I've lived a great life. Okay, I'm good with that. And there was、uh-huh. a little switch in my head that just switched. And at that point, it was like all the anxiety went away, everything went away. And, and,、uh-huh. and I wasn't scared anymore. You know, that, that,、yeah. that, that moment was gone. And I seemed to have this little switch in my head. I'm the only person ever. Alive six feet under the ground. Well, not now, but I was at the、yeah. time the first to do it. Six feet under the ground in a glass coffin, chain handcuff, bulldozers bring、uh-huh. the dirt in, and I have to dig my way to the surface. I did it two times. Twice. I, tw- I, I did it two times,、yeah. and both times were very dangerous. The first time,、uh-huh. a lot of people don't know the backstory, but I almost died doing that. Had I not thrown、wow. a two by four down there, I would be dead、uh-huh. right now. But the thing、uh-huh. is, when things went wrong, I didn't panic because I knew、uh-huh. in my head that if I panic, I'm going to die. And so、uh-huh. I don't panic. It's not till I think about those things later on that I go, wow, that was kind of close. It's not till later、uh-huh. that my heart starts beating. But in the moment, it doesn't、uh-huh. happen. One time I was in a car and I'm coming down the road in Pennsylvania, steep、uh-huh. hill. It's icy outside. And as I'm coming down, I had friends in the car.、Uh, my, my wheels gave way and I could just kind of feel it in the car. The car gave way. And I saw、uh-huh. a car coming up the hill. And I saw him going up the hill,、uh, going the opposite, you know, up the hill behind us through the,、uh-huh. through the windshield. So, in other words, my car had completely turned around. And the only、uh-huh. thing I said in that moment didn't panic. I went, uh oh, my insurance is going to go up. Everybody else <laughs> is freaking. Everybody else is getting crazy.、Yeah. My car completely spun around,、uh-huh. didn't panic. It pulled into the only parking spot on that hill going down that hill and kind of bumped、uh-huh. up, bumped back down perfectly. In place. <laughs>、nice. But I wasn't scared the entire time. I do not panic in those type、uh-huh. of situations because I know that if I panic, things are going to get worse. And I think that's the、uh-huh. same thing on stage. If I panic, I'm going to look bad. Things are going to get worse. So let's just get through this and we'll、uh-huh. see what's on the other side. There's time to panic later. It's interesting you say that. It reminds me a lot of what、uh, high stakes. Rock climbers do.、Um, I'm, I live here in Austin,、uh, and there's this place called the Austin Bouldering Project, which is exactly what it sounds like people、uh, climbing without any harnesses. And I went there, and on the wall, there are these pictures of these rock climbers. And it was kind of interesting because they were like, they were like hundreds of thousands of feet up without any harnesses、yep. because that, they're crazy. That's just what they do. 
but they they always they they noticed there was this one person who was like oh he was a little nervous on this on this on this photo because uh you know a month earlier uh insert famous boulderer here uh took a flight and just the way that they describe it is like oh takes a flight that sounds very graceful you know you just take a flight but obviously it means that, that you usually means you, you fall to your, your yeah and fall and you fall to your death or something like that when you take a flight right yeah yeah and it was just interesting because they've created a culture to to alleviate the inherent fear in in the the thing that they're doing but not only that it's it's like it, it's it's peaceful because you're forced to stay in the present you're forced to be 100% in the now and i think that that's an interesting part of it is when you do something dangerous like that it's kind of peaceful because you have to stay in the now and, the, and then it's like meditation when i was a kid um, this is in South Africa now, so sure. um, probably about 13, 14 years old. Uh, my stepfather's an alcoholic. Uh, I never saw him, but he usually took us uh, to the drive-in on the weekend one day, and that's when we would see him. And uh-huh. quite often he was drinking during that time. And I remember one time he was coming down a hill, and this time he, he, he hadn't had any drinks that evening. But uh-huh. we're coming down a hill. My little brother is in the back, um, you know, really young, and my other brother is in the back as well. I'm in uh-huh. the driver's seat. I'm in the passenger seat. My dad's in the drive. My stepdad's in the driver's seat. We're coming down a hill. Uh-huh. And there was this guy, um, and he starts to walk out onto the road as we're uh-huh. coming down the rail. He steps back up, and then he steps back out, and we hit him. And he went Ooh. flying over the car, like completely flying over the car. The car uh-huh. spun around, you know, and his shoe went flying off. And uh, it was Oof. it was a mess, right? I, we, yeah. we, we get out of the car. And I had I I'd see oil all over me. Only it was an amber light. It was actually blood, you know. And, uh-huh. and it was just, it was a it was a really big mess. But I remember though at that moment, right? It was in slow uh-huh. motion. Everything was in slow motion. I remember yeah. the car spinning around. I remember seeing him going flying over. It's like time stood still. And yeah. that has happened to me a few times in my life. I had a I, uh-huh. I have a a, a blog. And it's uh-huh. yeah, and it's called Banachek's Journey to the Mind, and people can go out there and take uh-huh. a look at that and find that. And I wrote all about this, and I wrote about the different times that this has happened to me, where time seems uh-huh. to slow down to almost a crawl, and then it speeds uh-huh. back up. But time doesn't uh-huh. really slow down, does it? We kind of get in that moment instinctively, uh-huh. and there are certain chemical reactions that happen in your body. And I'm not going to go yeah. into great detail, but it's all part of what you were just talking about of how we become calm in those moments. And we uh-huh. see everything as it's happening, but our, our yes. system slows everything down for uh-huh. us rather than speeding things up. And you kind of get that yeah. in sports sometimes, right? You get the adrenaline running and you kind of feel uh-huh. that perfect moment when you kick the soccer ball and you know it's going into yep. the net. net. You see the ball and sometimes you can remember those moments or, or baseball. You see yep. the ball in slow motion. You see the bat coming around and it's hitting it and it's that home run. And you just kind of get into that zone in that particular moment. Yep. And it's that same sure. thing. And I think I'm able to access that a lot easier than many other mm-hmm. people. And it's why I don't panic. Uh-huh. And it's and you also put yourself in situations where you have to access that a lot more. And I think that's a big part of it, too, is you, you, you well, also you also study the mind and mentalism. So I'm sure you use some of the tricks on yourself. And, and it's it's probably it's easy for you to understand your own mind because you've been studying 
mentalism your whole life. I think, I think that's also part I of it. I think so, but it's instinctively for me. And it's been instinctive uh-huh, from sure. day one for me. That's where I'm lucky. It's like some people sit down, they play the piano and they can't play it no matter what. They take lessons, uh-huh. they still don't get it. Somebody else can just down, sit down and instinctively they play uh-huh. perfectly from the very beginning with not a single lesson at all. And so I uh-huh. found that and that's part of what my talent is. I think it can mm-hmm. be trained. I think you can learn it. But for me, I've been lucky. It's an instinctive thing for me. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like you've found something where you have, there's a really interesting concept that I love. And especially because I like to help people bring this out in themselves. It's, it's, have you heard of the Ikigai? It's a Japanese concept. Um, sounds familiar to me. Sure. It's, it's, imagine there's a, a Venn diagram with four circles. One of the circles is what you're good at. Another of the circles is what you like doing. Another of the circles is what people will pay you for. And the last circle, I completely forgot, but it's something relevant. And the thing in the middle is your Ikigai. It's what you're good at. Wait, and it's, it's called the Ikigai? Yes, I-K-I-G-A-I. I-K-I-G-I. G-A-I. G-A-I, okay. Yep. I-K-G-A-I. And, yeah, I-K-I-G-A-I. I-K-I-G-A-I. And it seems like, for you, mentalism is an Ikigai. Um, I don't know if it's mentalism is that per per se. It's just that uh-huh. it's what I apply that to. I think I could okay. apply that to many different things if I had chosen to do them in my life. If I chose to be a, uh, a lawyer, I would have applied those talents to that. When I consult in magic realm for other people, I uh-huh. apply those techniques for that. Um, I've mm-hmm. also done things where I, I've produced other shows that have absolutely nothing to do with magic whatsoever. And I apply mm-hmm. that type of process that I have to those things. I'm a problem solver. I'm very good at solving mm-hmm. problems. That's where my talent comes in. And this is just one way you apply your problem-solving principles. Yeah. I mean, let's take a look at Peter Popoff because you brought him up a couple of times, but we've never actually spoke about him, right? So back Mm -hmm. in 1986, again, the amazing Randy came to Houston, Texas, and he was writing an article for, I think it was Penthouse or Hustler Magazine. It was one of those two, and it was on evangelists. And he said, Uh which is kind of, sounds kind of weird, but, um, you know, (laughs) there were good articles in some of those magazines, right? Um, Despite Mm -hmm. what people make fun of. So here's the thing, right? So Especially Playboy. Yeah, well, Playboy had great articles, actually. There, mm-hmm. There's entire publications of them that is just the articles alone, but they're really yeah. wide, great articles. I was born in the U-Porn uh, era, so I, I was too late. Oh, there you go. But um, So Randy said, do you want to come see uh, one of the evangelists? So I did. Mm-hmm. So I showed up at this auditorium with about 10,000 other people. The evangelist in question was the Reverend Peter Popoff. Popoff gets on stage and he said he's getting the word of God. Now, what the word of God is, is that God's talking to you directly and he's giving you information about people. So Popoff gets up there and he's like, Mrs. Jones, where are you? You're over here on the left hand side. God is telling me your doctor's name is Michael Anderson. And Michael Anderson says that you have breast cancer. Stand up. Mm -hmm. We're going to heal you. And so he's getting all Uh this information from God. Right. So he starts healing people have cancer blindness mm-hmm. he gets people who can't walk and he's causing them mm-hmm. to walk again um at one mm-hmm. point Popoff asks for people to come down and uh, volunteers to collect money so i run down there and about 15 people i get a bucket i start walking around mm-hmm. the room collecting money i have about ten thousand dollars worth of cash in my bucket i hand mm-hmm. that off i uh, he gives me another bucket i walk around again i gotta get sealed offerings which it checks in envelopes that comes back oh. finally a third bucket and that's to get anything and everything so i'm getting everything from watches to rings to mm-hmm. anything that's worth money okay and i place it uh-huh. in envelopes in that bucket 
As I hand the last bucket up, I look up and I notice that Peter Popoff has no ear hole. That he's got a little piece of plastic in his ear. So immediately a light bulb goes off in my head that either this man or God can't heal himself or something else is going on. So I go back to Randy all excited. I say, Randy, I think he's using an earpiece. I think somebody is sending information in the earpiece. And Randy and I sat there and we argued for about 30 minutes because Randy thought that he had been using mnemonics. He already had a theory about it from before. I said, nah, I said, I know a lot about mnemonics. I use mnemonics all the times in my performances. One, because I have dyslexia, so I have to use these memory anchors. I said, you either Uh get a lot of information about a few things or little information about a lot of things, but you don't get that much information about that many things and that many people. Uh So Randy got a friend of ours uh, at Pop-Off's next stop, which was in Anaheim, California. Uh And um, Uh he got a friend of ours from MIT to dress up as a security guard. And to bring a little scanner. And that scanner scanned every frequency a few hours ahead of time and blocked out Uh all the known frequencies that were there all the time, right? And then it Uh kept scanning. And then the moment that Peter Popoff hit the stage, something truly amazing happened. A new frequency popped up. And it appears that Mm -hmm. God broadcasts on 39.17 megahertz and sounds a lot like Peter Popoff's wife. (laughs) What they were doing was Mrs. Popoff would come out hours ahead of time. People would show up at these things. Um, because they want to be oh. healed and they want to get a good seat. Uh, despite their doctors telling them not to go, to stay in the hospital, they still come. They come on uh, blankets. They come on stretches. They come in mm-hmm. wheelchairs. And she would walk mm-hmm. up to people and say, hi, my name is Mrs. Popoff. You know, hopefully my husband will get to you tonight. What's wrong with you? Really? Who's your doctor? Really? What's? And they mm-hmm. would give her all that information. She would go out uh-huh. to the truck, take out a big tape recorder that she had, and then she would transcribe mm-hmm. all that information. Another thing was they had boxes in the back of the room for people to fill out prayer uh-huh. cards so that Popoff could pray for them at a later date. Well, some mm-hmm. of these pra- these boxes would be switched out, and that information mm-hmm. was taken backstage, and that information was sent to Peter Popoff via his wife. So we took that on the Tonight mm-hmm. Show that Johnny Carson was back on, tells you how long ago this was. And we showed mm-hmm. the, uh, the video that was edited actually by Popoff team because – Popoff always edited every one of his shows so it could be broadcast oh. later that week. We showed mm-hmm. the, his edited version uh, without the voiceover, and then we showed uh-huh. the one with Popoff's wife. And even uh, uh-huh. Johnny Carson, he had to edit. He hated editing shows, but he had to edit that show because one of the things that was there, when a moment it came on and he heard that, he went, oh, shit. And so they had to edit it down. <laughs> now you can leave that on. Nice. Back then you couldn't, right? So And Carson yeah, yeah. usually knew what was coming, but in this particular case, his, his uh, staff had said, no, you don't want to know ahead of time. We want to surprise you with this, and it'll be well worth it. Mm-hmm. took a few years for Popoff to disappear, but he's back on the air, stronger, bigger than uh-huh. ever. Um, he's on the air, and uh, he basically just says stuff now like, there's somebody out there with cancer, there's somebody out there with a migraine. And he tells them he's going to be healing them through the television. He still sells his scam water that he says heals people. He still sends out on his mailing list because that's where he really makes his money on his mailing lists. Mm -hmm. Um, An outline of a foot and you wrap 10, 20, 30, 50, $100, $1,000 in it. You'll get the money back tenfold, he says. God will give it back to you in many different ways. So people are taking all their money and... uh, They're sending it out, hoping that they're going to be healed. The sad thing about this, that even at his revivals, he would tell the people to throw up their medications. You don't need it anymore. Now, Mm -hmm. think about that. If you truly believe in Popoff, you're going to throw up your digitalis pills and other things that you really, truly need to get better. And he doesn't care. He's leaving town. What does he care? And if you fail, if you Mm -hmm. die or something happens to you, it's their fault because they didn't have enough faith. Yep. 
it's interesting to say that I remember um, uh, when I was speaking to Randy, he was he got he was so he would he, you could hear his anger when he was talking about how he hated that people threw threw their pills in there and everything, and that must have been such a fulfilling experience to be like for you to kind of like a Scooby Doo experience. Uh, very imagine. much like, so, and it, it, you know, yeah. it, each one of these. Even when I worked with a scientist and came yeah. out and said everything was illusion, when I worked with Popoff, when I've exposed other fakes and uh-huh. frauds that have been out there, um, you know, every time that I test the psychic and it turns out that uh-huh. uh, that you know we find out exactly what it is that they're doing, or we find out that they're mm-hmm. being self-deceived, it's very satisfying. Uh-huh. Not because we're making look somebody look stupid, because that's never mm-hmm. our intent. We try to treat these people with respect because many of them mm-hmm. are self-deceived and and that's not mm-hmm. not a crime right so yeah it, but it is it is fulfilling to know that we are helping people out there on some level a lot of people say we make no difference but that doesn't mean you shouldn't help you shouldn't do anything look uh-huh. there are people that get robbed every day there are people that get raped every day rape is going to continue robberies are going to mm-hmm. continue violent crimes are going to keep happening should we not mm-hmm. do something about it just because it keeps happening we will never stop it i don't think uh-huh. so i think that would be the wrong thing to do right so we should each mm-hmm. do our part if we can. If we just help one, two people, three people, uh-huh. and they help one, two, three people, that's a fantastic uh-huh. thing that we've done. For sure, for sure. And I think it's kind of interesting that you have this 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 purpose, this drive, this reason, this meaning that goes into your work. And I think that that's one thing I've noticed when people become very successful in their own right, become uh, well well known, you know, household names. A lot of them seem to have a deeper purpose or reason that is behind the things that they do. So they're not really doing it just for themselves. Their purpose is bigger than themselves, and it helps give them uh, uh, more drive when things are hard. I, have you have you found that to be true? I, for I you? think so. Um, you know, I've, I've always said my success is really based upon other people. <clears throat> when it comes uh-huh. to the magic and the mentalism, if I've helped somebody get a career or do something that they enjoy for the rest of their life, then I'm successful. Uh-huh. I'm not successful through the money I make. I'm not successful sure. through the fame that I may or may not get. What I am successful uh-huh. through is by the impression and the legacy that I leave with other people, and they leave uh-huh. a legacy with other people as well. And when it comes to this type of stuff, it's never the criticism is never about gaining an upper hand or being right right uh-huh. it's about understanding uh-huh. and getting at the best conclusion and if i get other people to understand that you don't always have to say you know everything it's okay to say uh-huh. i don't know but we just want to uh-huh. wait we're going to look for better evidence on things that's the smart uh-huh. thing to do when i used to perform uh, a lot of high schools one of the things that i would do was uh-huh. i would get on stage and i would do some impossible things that looked like it was psychic and i would ask the uh-huh. kids i would say how many of you think this is real? And most of the hands would go up because they've just seen something yeah. they can't explain, right? But then I would ask yeah. the most important question. I would say, how many of you think this is not real? And four or five uh-huh. hands would go up. That's about it. Uh-huh. And I would ask each one of them. I would say, why do you believe this is not real? And they would say, because my dad told me. Or they would uh-huh. say, because somebody on television told me. Or I read in a book uh-huh. that it wasn't real. And I would say, you're right. And I would get a big smile on their faces. But I would say, for the wrong reasons. You have Uh absolutely no evidence that this is not real. These other kids have just seen something that they can't explain. So in their Uh their minds, they have evidence, but you have absolutely no evidence. We are all much Uh better saying, I don't know if it's real, but I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do some research and I'm going to try to find the evidence that's out there. I'm going to take a look at the Uh science behind this stuff. 
and it's okay to say I don't know. But the problem, even in this day and age, and it's gone on forever,、uh-huh. especially within the school systems, at the moment the kid says. I don't know. They are seen as、uh-huh. stupid, and other kids、yep. will make fun of them. If you don't know something, say I don't know, but I'm going to do something、mm-hmm. about that. I'm going to get the knowledge, and I'm going to get it from a scientific point of view if it's out there. That's a super important way to look at it. I mean, if you think about it, one of the people that is usually seen as wise, and who the Oracle of Delphi would say was the wisest man, Socrates. The Oracle would tell him. You're the wisest man because you know that you know nothing, and all that your knowledge is is you questioning everything because you're not comfortable with not questioning. You、it. should question it, but you should also know that it's okay to be wrong. We're open.、Uh-huh. Be open to new evidence, right? Don't close yourself、uh-huh. off when you have an idea. Take a look at Jenny McCarthy, for instance, right?、Uh-huh. So we take a look at Jenny、sure. McCarthy, and we take a look at this this whole autism facade that's out there, right? So you have a doctor、mm-hmm. who puts out a paper. Turns out that、uh, the he was being funded by a special interest group,、um, and it's one of the reasons that he ended up being disbarred in the end.、Uh, it's multiple research has been done since then. There is absolutely no evidence, and evidence to the contrary. That、um, vaccines cause autism, right? And the one、uh-huh. thing that they said that was in the vaccines has now been taken out of all the vaccines. But there is、uh-huh. more. The preservative. Yeah, but there、yeah. is more of that chemical within a banana than there was in the actual <laughs> vaccines itself, right? So you could say、nice. that bananas cause autism. Turns out, Jenny Scotty's、yeah. kid didn't even have autism. His her kid had、uh-huh. something else that resembled autism, and, and that kid is absolutely、uh-huh. fine now. So here you here、yes. you have is a mother, right? Right? Who was very yeah, concerned yeah. about her child, and I understand、uh-huh. why she latched onto this report. It gave、yep. her an explanation for what had happened to her child.、Uh-huh. So I don't blame her up till that point. She was. She's not a bad. She's、person. not a bad person. She was looking for some explanation, some way, and she thought she had found it, and she thought she was helping other people, and she、uh-huh. put that information out there. But now the、uh-huh. evidence is out there. And she knows、uh-huh. that it's out there, and yet she won't back down. She won't say、uh-huh. that she was wrong. I have now、uh-huh. found new evidence that I do hold against her because right now,、uh-huh. yeah, I was just at the airport the other day, and they said if you've been into a foreign country and you think you might have、uh-huh. the flu, you may not. You might have measles. Uh-huh. There are multiple states that are reporting measles right now. There was a point、uh-huh. where we never had measles. There are a point where we met. There's a lot of diseases we didn't have that are now making a huge comeback.、Uh-huh. More people are dying from that than the coincidence、uh-huh. of people that were dying at the same time, or coincidence of kids that were getting autism after getting a、uh-huh. vaccine. So it's a bigger problem now, and that's what's immoral about Absolutely it. Absolutely, it is. We don't live back in the 1800s, where yeah, no, where basically the, the 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 treatment was to take a child right that was already、uh-huh. had、uh, like smallpox, and what you would do、uh-huh. is you would take a knife and you would scrape、yep. out some of that pus, and you would cut another kid's arm, put that pus in that kid because that's how they got vaccinated.、Uh-huh. But the problem was、yep. we didn't know about germs and we didn't know about、uh-huh. bacteria then, so they were using a dirty knife that they had wiped on their、uh-huh. jeans, and that other kid often died. Or ended up losing、uh-huh. a limb from gangrene, but not from the、yep. actual smallpox itself. Right? We don't live in those、uh-huh. times anymore. We live in a、yeah. time where we have the science behind it if we just search and we really take a look at it. Uh huh. And that's a really good, really good place.、Um, I think to 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 end. It's a powerful 
moment. I'm curious if you have any lessons for people listening. If you have any um, anything that you think people should know, um, especially when it comes to uh, diving into a deeper meaning or finding something that's meaningful enough for them to follow. Um, and if you're working on anything. Um, I am now the president of the James Randi Educational Foundation. Uh, you know, uh-huh. they're a spokesperson. So I go out and I educate and I talk about these things. Um, I would suggest people go to the JREF, the JREF, uh, the James Randi Education Foundation website. Uh, we have booklets and we have the information up there and educational tools enable new generations of critical thinkers to better evaluate any type of claims. Like I said, from the ordinary to the extraordinary. So they should go there if they want to take a look. And that will uh-huh. enable them to take a look at any type of claims in any type of area and, and see it from sort of the, 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 the a science-based way which is the way we should be doing this and to look at things from critical critical doesn't mean negative it doesn't mean being uh-huh. closed-minded it just means being smart about things uh-huh and that's a really good way to explain it so thanks for sharing and i'm really excited to edit this and uh, and put it up there um, I'm going I appreciate to, that. Yeah. I would like to plug if it's possible mm-hmm. because we sure. talk about a lot of these type of things on a much broader Go scale. Ahead. My pod site, my, my podcast as well. Um, you can just look for mm-hmm. Banachek's brain. It's out there. Uh, it's on Stitcher. And how iTunes. would they spell Banachek? I mean, I spelled it in this podcast in the title, but just yeah, it's only got one C. Remember that. So, uh, so it's B A N A C H E K. B A N A C H E K. B as as in boy. Mm-hmm. Perfect, perfect. All right, awesome. Um, I'm going to end the recording and then hop on a phone call. I appreciate it. Uh, This was fantastic. Thank you very much. And, And keep up the good work, my friend. Thank you, my friend.